1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting.
0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This might be one of the most famous guitar riffs in the history of getting high and listening to music. <laughs> You feel that? I feel like flying. Like an eagle. And that's the name of the song, and it's by Steve Miller Band off their 1976 album of the same name. It's also number 445 out of 500 on the Spotify original, The 500 with Josh Adam What's up, Fleece Army? Thanksgiving week! You guys excited? We're gonna eat the fuck down on Thursday. I am thankful for all of you, all of my little cadougal spoogles out there. Thank you guys for joining me on this journey through Rolling Stone magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. We've been doing it a little bit over a year now. And um, man, it's just it's cool because like you get this album, you know, Steve Miller Band, right? Like, you know, of them, you know, the Joker, the Smoker, the Midnight Toker but you never get to dig into some SMB. And we did, and I really, really dug this record, man. For Instagram stories this week, I wanna switch it up because it is Thanksgiving. I want you guys to take a picture wearing your favorite fleece, holding up all five fingers for the 500. Show me your fleece army, fleece army. Be a Cadougal. Hold up those five fingers, wear your favorite fleece, And show us that you are repping the Fleece Army. And spice it up, too. Do it in front of your turkey. Do it in front of your grandma. If you do it in front of your grandma, you're immediately the rank of general in the Fleece Army. And then post that shit on your Instagram stories. Tag me, at Josh Adam Myers. Put an at the 500 podcast. And then hashtag Fleece Army. Do that shit. Let's show these people what we're doing. Here at the 500 Alright guys, a little bit about the record Released in May of 1976 And produced by Steve Miller This is the ninth studio album by the American Psychedelic Space Blues Jam Rock Group Chumbawamba fan loving Steve Miller Band Steve was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin In 1943 And unfortunately, Steve Miller Had two jazz enthusiasts For parents, much like my family His mother, Bertha, was a jazz singer, and his father, George Miller, was a doctor and amateur recording engineer. Electric guitar pioneer Les Paul and his musical partner, Mary Ford, were frequent visitors to the Miller home. Mine were just the uh, random PTA women that my mom used to drink with. This motherfucker's getting a guitar virtuoso over to hang out at his house. In fact... Steve's parents were best man and maid of honor at Les and Mary's wedding, and Les was Steve's godfather. Les Paul showed the five year old Steve some guitar chords, and later, when Steve's father played Les a recording of his six year old son banging away on the guitar, he encouraged him to let the child continue with his interest in the guitar, saying, Perhaps he will be something one day. Guess what, dude? He was. Soon after, the Miller family relocated to Dallas, Texas. Steve's father frequently had over more famous musicians to record and hang out with, including blues great T-Bone Walker, who taught Steve how to play guitar with his teeth and behind his head, and legendary jazz bassist and composer Charles Mingus. How the fuck is he getting all these people? I'm getting the shitty-ass Layton's. In elementary school, Steve put together a band after teaching his older brother Buddy to play bass and another school friend to play guitar who was future musical star and former person on the fucking 500 list, Boz Skaggs. You guys remember him. I did the episode with Kevin Nealon. It was the shit. Miller went back to Wisconsin for college where he formed another group with Boz Skaggs and keyboardist Ben Sidran, who would go on to become a famous producer and musician. After transferring to the University of Copenhagen in Denmark, Miller dropped out just six credited hours shy of his degree in literature so he could pursue playing blues guitar in Chicago. When he told his parents of his plans, his dad was shocked, but his mother told him to go for it. Just like my mom. My dad yelled at me, Me and Steve, we got good moms. While in Chicago... He got to jam and become friends with blues legends like Howlin' Wolf, Buddy Guy, and Muddy Waters, as well as with fellow student of Chicago Blues singer and harmonica player Paul Butterfield. This is a lot of people from the 500 list, guys. This is a lot of people. I did that episode with the Dodgers voice, Charlie Steiner. And it was with Paul Butterfield's original keyboardist, Barry Goldberg, that Miller formed the Goldberg Miller Blues Band. But after one single, a short residency in New York, and another unsuccessful attempt at college in Austin, Miller borrowed his dad's VW van and moved to San Francisco, where he fell in love with the exploding psychedelic scene. And that's where he put together the Steve Miller Blues Band, which was signed to Capitol Records in 1967. They shortened their name, dropping the blues before the first album was released in 68. Many members came and went, and the band had some success, but by the ninth album, there were only two other members besides Miller, Gary Malabar on drums, Lonnie Turner on bass guitar. Their previous record, 1973's The Joker, was a huge hit. It's the one that all of us know, Joker, Smoker, Midnight Toker, Kushploker, but Miller took the money and ran, back to his home in the Pacific Northwest, where he built his own recording studio. He then took a year off from touring to write and record, and in that home studio between 75 and 76, the band recorded their most commercial and accessible original songs. While some fans thought they sold out by making such a slick produced album, there is no denying that it struck the right chord when it became a mega hit and eventually went quadruple, mon scoople, platinum, instantly turning the Steve Miller band into an arena rock act for years even rolling stone magazine called it the best lp of 1976 beating out classics like bob seger's night moves and boston's killer debut album and i have a killer guest today the man that i call fetty Wop, the one and only wayne fetterman you know wayne from hbo's crashing the history of stand-up Curb your enthusiasm. He is one of the dopest comedians that I know and one of the sweetest human beings I have ever met. And if you haven't heard him do stand-up, you should go out and grab his comedy album, The Chronicles of Fetterman, that was recorded over the entire span of his 30-year career. I love Fetty Wap. Fetty Wap is a musical genius I have jammed with him at the improv. He has shown up randomly at the goddamn Comedy Jam at the New York Comedy Festival. He bought a ticket, and I was like, fuck you. Come hang out in the back. It's me, Bill Burr, Hannibal Burrs, and now Fetty Wap. And we got him right here to talk about one of his favorite albums by the Steve Miller Band. We are all thankful. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify, Spotify, or anywhere you get your pods. But listen on Spotify. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email this podcast at 500 podcast at gmail.com. Check out our new Facebook fan page. The 500 with Josh Adam Myers. Go and like it and support the 500. And for all things 500. Go to our website. The500podcast.com. Welp. Nothing left to say but Here we go with number four forty five out of five hundred with we'll Fly Like an Eagle by the Food I'm a Wayne man. Wayne Federman, Wayne Federman, Wayne
1: Federman,
0: I'm gonna Wayne Federman to the sea, <laughs>
1: nothing. No, I was waiting for you to finish that. Okay. That was incredible. <laughs>
0: so, you picked
1: this record. Yes. Why
0: did you pick Steve Miller Band Well, Fly like let Eagle? me tell
1: you why. Because um, I this is uh, I'm in high school when this comes out. That's oh. how old I am. Okay. Uh, and and this is peak Steve Miller. Like if there's there's no really other album you could pick that's co- close to this. Abracadabra. Yes, he had one hit off of it. This has three. This is has a triad of three huge hits that anchor him and push him. He starts playing stadiums after this album.
0: So were you a fan? You said you this came out in high school. Mm-hmm. Were you were you a fan of this immediately when you heard it?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, the first one I heard was uh, was me. You know, that was such a good song. But I was already in on Steve Miller from a couple years earlier when you, he did that song, The Joker,
0: which is a, which is an incredible, incredible song,
1: incredible song. And people always make fun of it. And I understand Steve Miller is considered dad music. If that's is that is that a listen, category? I am
0: not going to deny what you're saying, because yeah. I as I as I listened to this record and I fell in love with it because oh. it's easy to fall in love. Yes. With, uh, I was like, "Ooh, let me hear them play. Uh, you know, some of this album live. Mm -hmm. And so there was a clip probably from like five years ago Mm -hmm. and I was like, this is a concert that my Aunt Gertie would be at. Right. Like she'd be be there like, here we go. He's doing, take it, (laughs) take the money and run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was... I mean, he does this whole like "keep on rocking me, baby," and they sing it. Then he goes, "Now you sing it." Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he looks like I know, like he the looks- sheriff of a small town in Idaho.
1: <laughs> he does. <laughs> he does,
0: Steve. He does. But this, is, but, but what I found out is that yeah. Steve Miller was like a real blues guitarist. Like he no was question. brought up on blues,
1: and and you it's- know he's like the Forrest Gump of music. You know that, I right? Do not know. Tell his, me. Well, this is his dad had like this amateur. Tape recording system, so he was friendly with like the musicians in town, even though his dad was not a musician. So when they were in, I think Milwaukee or whatever, someplace in the Midwest, Les Paul, you may have heard of him. Yes, created that guitar called the Les Paul. The Les guitar, Paul guitar. Yeah, yeah. I love that you hard, pointed at me like the, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the hard body guitar. And he had, you know, he had those hits with Mary Ford. His dad, Steve Miller's dad, was the best man at their wedding. Steve Miller's mom was the maid of honor at Les Paul and Mary Ford's wedding. Steve Miller, he calls Les Paul his godfather and
0: Les Paul was the moyle at Steve Miller's son's <laughs> Wait, that's just the start of it. That's circumcision. Just, that's just the
1: start of the whole thing. So uh so yeah. were you into him when he when he was playing blues? No, no, no. I didn't know anything until The Joker. I didn't know any of those weird San Francisco albums he put out. Didn't know one. He was like kind of a jam band and I know he was the Steve Miller blues band for a while. Yes. But so then he goes down to Texas and so we learned how to play chords from Les Paul already you're like what the okay then goes to texas and his dad again hangs out with jazz guys hangs out with t-bone walker teaches him how to play blues and play behind his head like this is before Jimi hendrix and stuff like that was doing that jesus so, yeah he's, and he's so, he's so white He's he couldn't be. He's, he's like the definition of white. He's, he's, he's like that. It was like he's in Charlottesville. Like he is. He so... <laughs>
0: Fraser DVDs. That's how white he is. Yeah.
1: Like So he and so he becomes this like kind of blues player in Texas, and then goes to San Francisco right before the big explosion of San Francisco, and creates his band. Yeah. Oh, by the way, stops in Chicago and plays with Muddy Waters and Buddy Guy and Howlin' Wolf. Just Forrest Gump, man. He's and then the... backs up. Uh, Chuck Berry on his live album. Did you know that? I did not know that. I did He's research, but insane. you did a lot.
0: So, but take me back, yeah, to, to
1: me, Dwayne Fetterman. You,
0: when did so? You, when did you first the hear Joker? The Joker, the, not the Joker, but this record.
1: So I'm in high school. Um, I guess I'm a junior or something in high school, and it comes out, and it was a, it couldn't have been a better A M hit that that song. Take the money and run. We well, couldn't have been a bigger like. Hit and so it was—it was incredible. And then the the hit—the big song off the album—the title track, which you know, fly like an eagle, and that incredible picture of him live in concert with the hair, and amazing—he's like you, he has amazing rock and roll hair. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you. That's exactly. a big part of it, right? I, I feel like I'm losing some. You do? <laughs> What's well, the you know? That's rock and roll style. Yeah, yeah. To yeah, lose yeah. it eventually, and then and then diet black, mm-hmm.
1: and and uh, you have jet black hair into eighty. Right. So um, so anyway, so so I I had I knew about the album, but I really knew him through those three songs. Yeah. Rocking me, baby. Take the money and run and fly like an eagle.
0: But before we get to this week's episode, let's talk a little bit about Sonos for the holidays. If you're wondering what to get your friends and family for the holidays or you just want to have that holiday party blowing up, cause shplukid, the brilliant sound of Sonos is the answer for you. Play all your favorite holiday jams with a new home theater system. I put Sonos into my life about a year and a, a little, little under a year ago, and it's made everything better. I have speakers in every room. I've got the subwoofer, so does that woof. I've got the Sonos Move, which is incredible because you can move the speaker wherever you want, and it sounds better than every other portable speaker on the market. It's insane—the clarity, the bass—I love it. Plus. They've got Speech Enhancement Mode. It's a new, unique feature that clarifies the sound of the human voice. Perfect for when characters whisper on television or if the action intensifies. Turn it on in the Sonos app and never miss a moment of the story. Or, play all your favorite holiday jams when the TV is off. And guess what? Sonos works with Spotify and all the other streaming services. And you can also wirelessly connect all your speakers to create your perfect sound system. It's the perfect gift. The gift of crystal clear sound. Go to Sonos.com to complete your holiday shopping. And now, back to the All right, so our album, because we've been talking about it already, is number 445 out of 500. It's the ninth studio album, Fly Like an Eagle, by Steve Miller Band. Capitol Rele- Records. Released in May 1976. Produced by? Steve Miller? Yes,
1: 100%. Yeah. Um, he had complete creative control of, of this album. Well, I mean, it's
0: called the Steve Miller Band. I'd assume so. I, don't, I didn't think- I don't like, know. A lot of those people went <laughs> I think the say, harpsichord player was like, hold on,
1: wait, wait, Steve, why don't we
0: adjust the treble on track
1: four? I understand, but the Beatles never produced any of their albums. They didn't need to. They had George Martin, who was the fifth Beatle. Oh. Oh, that's the
0: fifth that, Beatle. He's the fifth Not Beatle. Not Derek Taylor. Nope. All right, and not, not not the guy on keyboard, uh, fucking Billy, Billy... Preston. Preston,
1: I wanted to say Billy. <laughs> Come Withers. on, am I'm, I'm, I get I'm, anything I'm from ge- this? <laughs> ding,
0: ding. Hey, this is Chris Santos, host of Delirious Nomads, the Blacklight Media podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media podcast network. Delirious Nomads is a podcast about all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports. And me being a chef, and all, we'll be riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. What's up, everyone? This is Jay Reason, and I want to let you all know that Diablo Zen Podcast is now part of the Sound Talent Media family. Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo, a.k.a. Lord Ezak, interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip-hop scenes, and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, L.A. street photographer Estevan Oriol, Jimmy G from New York City's legendary Murphy's Law, and pro wrestler Vampiro, to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions and lots of laughs, tune in and join the fun. My my introduction to Steve Miller was uh, rocking me. Uh-oh. I knew that. Of course, I knew "Fly Like an Eagle." Of course, I knew "Take the Money and Run." Those are the stuff they played on ninety four point seven, the Arrow in Washington D.C., which right. was our classic rock station. Okay, uh, I listened to them, uh, dug them to an extent, uh, but it, it was wa- just classic rock. But it was just classic rock. It was it was music that came in and out. I'll always remember. I was going to talk yeah. about this one. We talked about and Me, Baby." Yeah. Uh, my connection is my friend Paul Bliven, who I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, would play this. I don't know if it was it was on a Steve Miller CD or just a CD of music from the seventies. Right. And when Rock and Me would come on, he would say, "This is the perfect song to get high and drive to." And just like and go on like a road trip, he's like, we should put this in a movie, right. and it really was just this incredible song. That what 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 I'd always remember was when Paul would play it. He would pick me up from school because we were both in junior college together. Right. And uh, he would call me and be like, Josh, I'm almost there. And I would go wait outside and then he would drive by at maybe like 20 miles an hour right. uh, with the with his passenger door open and he mm-hmm. wouldn't stop. And then I would just start running right. as fast as I could to jump into the car and then he'd take me to school. He yeah, wouldn't fully stop.
1: I think it went to number one. I think it became... What,
0: my, me running for the car? Yes. That was yeah, a very, yeah, very yeah, popular yeah.
1: track. That was a very popular... Yes, I think take the money I don't, on I don't see why this wouldn't, because this,
0: after listening to this, I, I mean, one, it's... But it
1: it's, also it's, has that incredible drum intro that's, in, like, it's just... Well, let's do still, this. Go, let's, yeah. let's just dive into the
0: record. <laughs> so it opens <laughs> with space intro. Uh, yes. Peter, play a little bit for me. So uh, what I love about this is like I feel like this song is letting you know it's time to get high, yeah, and that they're about to take I mean, you that's on a weird.
1: Because r- I was not a pot guy at all in high school. How could you not want to smoke pot when you listen
0: to this? It's all like twinkly, sprinkly, and I all know, like cadoodle. It's, very- it's all like <laughs>
1: woo! It's it's
0: literally it's saying, a, it's hey, a- hey, I know you're in your mom's basement. Light <laughs> a joint, burn some incense, get some get some fabric softener, stuff it in a used. Toilet paper roll and blow the smoke through that, and your mom won't know as you listen to Steve Miller Band on your headphones, your favorite headphones. My favorite. Well, at the which time is what the you said to me when you MDR seven five zero sixes, and then you go, and then you go, this, this is the best. Uh, my favorite microphone. Yeah. So the story of the keyboard on this song is yeah. that Steve Miller went into a San Francisco music store yep. and bought the trashiest synthesizer in the store yep. for one hundred and ninety dollars. While some radio stations of greatest hits releases include this as one track connected to the next song, it's believed that Steve Miller prefers it to be a standalone instrumental so he can get paid more for publishing. Fuck yeah, Steve Miller. He is a dad. He is smart. He is smart. (laughs) He is smart. (laughs) He's, He's the sheriff of a small Alaskan town. I love him. But let's take it to just the root of what this song is. Um being that this is an introduction and it's an instrumental, who was the most instrumental no. person to your introduction <laughs> of your career?
1: Oh my God. instrumental I mean, it might be, just, th- this is off the top of my head and this could be wrong. It might be there was uh there was a couple like champions in New York when I started out. I moved to New York in 1977, went to NYU drama school, Tish and- School of the arts. Yeah. And then, uh, then started auditioning at the clubs, and Silver Friedman passed me at the improv. But then that didn't work out. That's a long story. But then there was a guy at the comic strip named Lucian Holt, who was this famous, very verbose guy, and he kind of championed. Me. And looking back at the time, I at the time I didn't think, oh, I finally got a guy in my corner. It was just like, oh, I passed at this club. But looking back, he could have easily was like, yeah, I don't want any of that in this club. And from there, I was, you know, but after four years working there. I'd already had television spots. I had my SAG card. I had, you know, I it, it was on my way. I had, I had a closer. I could go on the road. Like all, of, I had become a professional comedian there. So I, I would have, I'm not talking about any of the comedians that inspired no, 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 no. me. No, it's, it's this guy that, yeah, that he I would, gave you that first break. I would say if, yeah, I would say that he allowed me part of that to be part of that team over the comic strip, and also worked to catch a little bit. But that but was no, but also, but who that was my home.
0: But if he doesn't do that, who knows how much longer you, may, you might not have your side guard. You might not have been on the road. You might yeah. have not have had that closer because we just, couldn't be talking right now. Exactly. Yeah. Because here is the thing: is that I will always say Garrett Morris and Kevin Garnier used to run a club called the Downtown Comedy yep. Club, and it was in a shithole part of town in downtown L. A. Right, but. While while I was two years in, and the comedy store and the improv were, were working me in to an extent, but mm-hmm. you're still a two year comic. Mm-hmm. Like Kevin and and uh, Garrett gave me twenty minutes Wait, what was every Garrett, Friday. What? Garrett Morris from Saturday Night Live, from
1: the original cast. The original
0: or cast. He's he's a buddy of mine, and gave me the
1: first real break. What sitcom was he on? What's he on? He like was now? on uh, Two Broke Girls. Two Broke Girls. That's right. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's incredible. That, that he was on more... two broke girls or that he helped me? No, the two broke girls lasted that many seasons. <laughs> All right. Then this kicks into
0: probably one of Sorry, the most. You're involved
1: with that shit. No, I love it.
0: <laughs> there's, there's like a grip out there, like, fuck World him. Game, fuck, fuck, Fetterman. fuck Fetterman. Fuck Fetty Wop. <laughs> And then it kicks into one of the most recognizable <laughs> opening riffs of all time. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Peter, play the intro to "Fly Like an Eagle." Ah, <laughs> oh, uh, not just a guitar riff, but when the organ just goes, oh, uh, and just slides. And the wind. In. There's
1: wind. I would use one word to describe the beginning of this song that he perfected and that's atmospherics. Atmospherics. No, I agree. The atmosphere of this like, Oh, okay. So this
0: is the third and final single released from the album and it went to number two on the charts, not number one. Lyrically, it was based on a native American protest song that they previously wrote called in the ghetto, as well as on elements from the old Testament of the Bible. Uh I think I agree with you as you're talking about the sound of the guitar the atmospheric vibe that's created I feel like the lyrics are something that someone says like when they're on LSD. Right. They're just tripping balls. Like, nah, man, it's like, you know, time keeps on slipping, man. You got to fly like an eagle, man. It's like, well, no, no, no. Don't don't pick up the phone. They'll know. They'll know we're on drugs. Like, I just, it's everything about this song but isn't is there written some-
1: by like an eight year old. But there not there also some, like, they throw in some social. Social stuff like feed the children and the babies are hungry, and there's people on the street. Yes, there's people on the street.
0: It's, it's. I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it's a great song. It's, it's very positive. He's right when he's saying time is slipping into the future. Right, uh, you do have to fly like an eagle. But funny thing, yeah, this wasn't this was first written in seventy two with yep. Miller's frequent collaborator, guitar singer songwriter Steve McCarty, who used to give Miller and his brother guitar lessons when they were teenagers before playing in an early version of the Steve Miller band. Yeah. Now this was first played live by the band in nineteen seventy three, but the musical roots of the song go all the way back to May sixth of nineteen sixty nine. Steve Miller was in England to master his third album at Olympic Studios in London, England, when the Beatles, who were also there, got into a fight and everyone left but Paul McCartney. Oh, I could see that happening. Because Paul was like, no what get the fuck out of here. I still got to cadougal my spoogle and work on this little Tuesday sunshine. Paul ended up jamming and recording all night with Steve on this song that Miller wrote called "My Dark Hour," which had the now familiar "Fly Like an Eagle" guitar lick. Oh, uh, Peter, yeah, go ahead and play that the guitar lick from "My Dark Hour." <laughs> Dude, that's exactly it. Steve sang and played guitar, and Paul played bass, drums, guitar, and sang backup. When the song came out on 1969's Brave New World, Paul appeared on the record as Paul Ramone, okay. a name he used to check into hotels, which is also the inspiration
1: for how the Ramones got their band name. Well, that's pretty cool. And the Ramones' debut album came out the same year as so yep. like 1976. So, Hey-ho, let's go. Keep so going.
0: this song flows right into the next song, Wild Mountain Honey. Yes. And if the first two tracks didn't trip you out enough, enjoy Steve Miller's electric sitar solo. It's a hoot. <laughs> Hit it, Peter.
1: Come on, pop your end is the means. Don't treat your love and goodness for the golden machine. You.
0: So this groovy, laid-back, trippy slice of soul was written solely by Steve Miller collaborator Steve McCarthy. Oh. Uh, some people have alleged that Wild Mountain Honey might be a nickname for some illicit substances. Hmm. What's your experiences with mind expansion?
1: Well, I, you know that I don't... do. Have you ever seen me drunk? No. Yeah, I don't... I don't I've, think so. Yeah, I don't really drink. I don't really smoke pot, but here's something you should know about Wayne Fetterman. I am a drug experimenter, and I know that's a code word for drug user in the old days, like I experiment, but I actually do. I will almost try anything, and I have tried a lot. The last thing I did was something called Molly. Ooh! Yeah, that was the last thing I did. How long ago was that? Uh, A couple months ago, but it's it's usually a once a year, once every two year kind of thing. So I've done mescaline, I've done mushrooms, I've done, uh, yeah. Obviously cocaine, but I've never I've never stuck a needle in my arm. Most people haven't. Oh. And did, did you <laughs> snort it? Did would you, do cocaine, you have done heroin? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I haven't done heroin yet, and I haven't tried crack yet.
0: <laughs> but but you're, you're leaving the door open yeah. to try it.
1: I am a drug experimenter. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so, I will experiment. If the circumstances are correct and it's a safe thing, and I'm like, oh- I have to drive down to Irvine to do the you know, the improv but yeah. <laughs>
0: crack <laughs> that would be perfect. I'll yeah. be wide awake on this on this drive from Baltimore to Los Angeles. That's awesome. I didn't I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, I'm very like I'm very curious about drugs and yeah. What did you like the Mushrooms. most? Mushrooms Mushrooms are it's not great. even a it's not a, to
0: me it's not even close. No, mushrooms are, are probably hands down. That's like God's gift to us. It's, a, it's an antidepressant. <laughs> it's a mind expander. It's everything. the next
1: day is great. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah I yeah. took
0: mushrooms shortly after the car accident, and I had been depressed okay. for like a month. And then I took mushrooms, and I was like happy for three months. Because of just the love that I felt from everybody. So, so it
1: really did help you recover from that. I think so, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. so.
0: I did them I, I recently, and now I'm like, I'm just like, if if I'm at a festival with comics mm-hmm, and stuff, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll take a little bit just to get like the right. yawns and just start feeling like giggly. Yeah. it's nothing better. I love uh, that about you. Fuck yeah, man. All right. Uh, the next song, Serenade. Yes. Uh, I do love this song so much. Yes. Play. This a was a
1: minor b- hit. This was a minor hit. Play yeah.
0: a little bit of it for me, Peter. Wake up,
1: wake up,
0: wake up and looking around you. we are lost in space? So, it's a great song. A great, this is yeah. probably one of my favorites on the record. Uh, this is a breezy and funky call to wake up <laughs> from being lost in space to hear the serenade of the stars. Sounds like the movie Gravity a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't have to be high to enjoy this. Uh, It's a great song. I think it would help. I wasn't high when I
1: heard any of these songs.
0: What I love about it is
1: it's positive.
0: It's just a very, very, everything so far on this record has been just full force positivity, which I think you are. You are a person that I have always seen. You've always been positive every time. I love you to death, Fetty Wob. Thank you.
1: How do you stay so positive? Because I, again, I have to, I think it's part of my DNA. I think it's in me. Ever since I was a kid, I was like this. And I just always wanted a career in show business ever since I was in high school in Florida after I moved from Silver Spring. Silver Spring. <laughs> so uh, so we moved to Florida. Long story, it doesn't matter. But oh, yeah. I split my, ho- my childhood between those two areas. Then I ended up in Plantation, Florida. Like, very appropriate name for a, Confederate state for a city in the next Confederate state, plantation, it was embarrassing. So, uh, but anyway, I just always wanted a career in show business, and that I was able to, you know, eke one out has been just been great. I'm just grateful for anything. And yeah. I have to say, I know this is going to sound name droppy, hit it from Fetty Wappy, but Jerry Seinfeld early on says, like, you do not. Compare yourself to other comedians. A hundred percent, yeah. And it was like a light bulb. It was uh, like, oh, so uh, he goes, you can't. You'll ne- You'll never win it. And of course, he ends up winning the whole game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like, you'll never win it. Let me let me deposit this check for eight hundred and fifty-four million dollars. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but he's right. He tips a uh, Porsche. That's a tip for <laughs> <laughs> But he's right. Though. He is right. And I,
0: and I think I think Wayne, knowing what. What you've done in your career, the uh-huh. life that you've led—like I think you're the Forrest Gump of comedy oh. because you've done so much and you have so much to be happy about. And, and that's something that—that okay—that oh, okay. I've recently been able to do is yeah. instead of not compare and despair, but just been like, just uh deploy and enjoy. Oh, I love you know, it. You do Sounds the work. Military. You do the work. Yeah deploy yeah and just enjoy because we're to. doing what we love i made that up literally on the spot right give me a couple hours maybe by the end of the podcast yeah, we can have, it won't be deploy right. it'll just be enjoy and enjoy that goes into dance 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 uh this countryfied campfire song written by miller with brenda and joseph cooper reminds me a little bit of john denver's 1974 hit Thank God I'm a country boy. That's kind of what I heard from this. Uh Peter, play a little bit for
1: me. Come on, darling, for the pretty dress on. We're gonna go out tonight. Oh,
0: dance, 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 dance We're all night long. It features some wonderful Dobro guitar work from the Doobie Brothers John McPhee. hmm Which one was he? Did he have like a big mustache? Probably. It's about staying young through the enjoyment of dancing and singing from the example set by his grandparents. What has been the most important legacy passed on to you by your family?
1: Oh, by my family. Um, <laughs> this is a weird thing. You don't know much about me. I, I, Have I you mean, ever heard it's me? It's
0: not on your IMDb uh, or your Wikipedia? I don't
1: really talk about my family that much. It was a very uh, complex situation. And Are you talking about... I mean, I, I'm close to like my siblings, but my parents, it's very... I My dad died when I was very young and my mom got remarried and it was just a very fraught situation growing up. So I don't know what the... I guess, well, just... I know this is going to sound goofy, but it would just be maybe like the value of hard work, the value of grinding, the value of getting, getting up every day, not calling in sick, doing it. Because... Yeah, cuz I don't even I very rarely miss shows. And like in my whole career, I think there's been two I've missed the whole time. Yeah. What what did your dad do? Uh well, my my birth dad or my stepdad. You're who are you closer to? Well, I, w- I guess I'm closer to my stepdad. He's that's his name, Jack Fetterman. So I um he was a pharmacist. Nice Yeah So yeah. that's where the experimenting started You stealing <laughs> no, Lipitor That was not it at all But uh, but he did have Dad,
0: I, can I get four <laughs> cases of Benadryl? <laughs> I'm getting fucked up tonight
1: <laughs> uh, But he did have the smarts too When our uh, drugstore in D.C. Where you're from Got burned down during the riots in 68 After Martin Luther King got killed Yeah, We couldn't get that store couldn't reopen because he couldn't get insurance. So he's like, where can I go to sell prescription medication? Cut to Florida. Oh yeah, dude. If there was ever a, a pla- market, I think that was there
0: was ever a place that loved pills hundred percent. Yeah, like ninety percent of the uh, of the of the Purdue Pharmacy settlement for opiates is going right right to, right to Florida. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha, how's that going? Do you get twenty twenty? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called Twenty Twenty, where myself Benny Goodman and my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got twenty twenty and since the world ended this year we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing we're
1: going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry
0: new episodes drop every sunday
1: and wednesday at 9 p.m eastern and you can listen at 2020-d.com soundtalentmedia.com or on your favorite podcast app hey this is dewey Hulpus, host of peer pleasure on the sound talent media podcast network Well, there's also old people there. (laughs) But no, but that's, but I
0: could see where you could say, it's just like he, instead of saying, well, we're just going to live here and I'll find another job. He was like, no, we're going to keep going. We're going to grind. I'm moving. I'm schlepping everybody down to Florida with the Palmetto bugs, you know? And so that's, I could see like Mm -hmm. that taught you to probably be like, all right, I want to be a comic. Well, I want to do this. Let me go to New York first. We study the art form. And then you were like, let me go and attack these
1: clubs. Thank you. So yeah. I can see. So I would say that was maybe just viewing that was a legacy and all. Sure. Yeah. Sure. All right. Then we have uh, track number six, Mercury
0: Blues. Mm. Uh, this is a good song. Uh, it's a cover of a 1949 blues stomper uh, about an American automobile brand originally called Mercury Boogie by the Casey Douglas Trio, uh, which was performed all the way back in 1967 when they were still called the Steve Miller Blues Band. Um Good song. It's got these little rolls towards the end that I really enjoy. Uh, play a little bit of it, Peter.
1: I'm going to buy me a Mercury. I'm going to buy me a Mercury.
0: I like that. This is, I, I, my lease is coming to an end, and I think I'm going to be singing this <laughs> next time I buy a car. <laughs> Just sing it about any car. I'm going to buy me a Civic. Four door Honda Civic.
1: Sing your car. Uh, well, it's a. I'm gonna buy me a Lexus CT200h. How was that? That I know he likes to repeat. I know Miller likes to repeat. I I, I don't. Gonna buy me a Lexus (laughs) (laughs) CT200h. Gonna buy me a Lexus CT200h. But I buy it with cash. Ooh. Ooh, that's the way I do it. What oh. was your first car? Ah, great question. The uh, Plymouth Arrow. Oh, 1976. Same year this album came out. It was the what? year of the car?
0: Yeah. It's almost like you were meant to be that
1: here. Was incredible. I never realized. I mean, I bought it in the what deep in the eighties, but uh, what was it? A Plymouth I, what? Plymouth Arrow 200.
0: I'm gonna buy me a Plymouth Arrow 200.
1: Made by the Mitsubishi. Made corp.
0: by by the Mitsubishi Corp.
1: That also made the Zero bombers that bombed Pearl Harbor. That also
0: made the Zero bombers that bombed Pearl Harbor. <laughs> okay,
1: that's enough about.
0: All right, now we're entering into side B of the album. Take the money and run. Uh this classic Texan outlaw story song is the first single released from the album. Uh I think everything about this song is awesome except there's these weird hand claps that are in the <laughs> song that kind of remind me of some like stupid shit that would be in like Sweet Caroline or like in Phil Collins in you know Phil Collins in the air tonight as like something white people would do drunk yep. at a bar. Uh, Peter, play a little bit of that corny, drunken white people bullshit. I mean, besides those hand claps, I mean, it's, it's a great
1: song. I can't believe that's the clip you pulled. Because... When I was doing my act, you didn't know me during the ukulele days. No. I used to play the ukulele, and the end was, I'd electrify it and do Jimi Hendrix and Jimmy Page stuff, and at the end, it was big close. that was my big closer. Got me on television, got me my side card, the whole thing. But I would also do little folk song stuff. One of them was that song, because I thought that rhyme was one of the worst rhymes in rock history, which is, went down to O El Paso, that's where we got into a great big hassle. El Paso <laughs> hassle. That was a rhyme on that song. Play it again. Okay, and all you hear is the white clapping. Just to show you <laughs> how our minds are working. That's all I heard was like, what? How can, how can you even, is that a draft of a song? Are you allowed to rhyme those two I words? I kind of, you know you what? You liked it. You thought it was I, close enough.
0: Listen, I think it was close enough. Okay. I, it's not Eminem type lyrical you right. know, content, but, it, but honest to God, it's not terrible. Uh, and again. Hassle, I, El Paso. <laughs> say it again. Hassle, El Paso. <laughs> Going down to El Paso. Give me a hassle. Okay, okay. I've heard worse rhymes, yeah. let's at least say that. Now, no, but
1: I did it in my act, it's actually on my comedy that's album, great. that bit. That is great. Making fun of Steve Miller, and here I am praising him.
0: Well, you've had a full career. Yeah. And you've pretty much done everything. I said you were the Forrest Gump, but you have worked on the Emmys, you've worked with Judd Apatow, mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of other cool shit, but <laughs> what the cool thing is, is that you've remained relatively anonymous, but had tons of success. Is that by design or is have you <laughs> wanted things to go a little different?
1: Yeah. I wanted things to go majorly different. Really? But yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I was like really I thought I had a like I was on track to have like a really big kind of a, like a Billy Crystal, Ray Romano kind of career and like that obviously hasn't happened. Hasn't happened yet. Maybe. And 70, <laughs> 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 when I hit 70, but which it's fine. I'm not, I, you know, you've known me a long time now. I'm not like a bitter guy. Like, at oh, all, no, well, not, not at dude. all. No, never, excuse my language. But I, no, it was not by design. I've been trying, I've been trying to break through. I really have. But I don't want to be one of those people that's just like so embittered and not grateful for all these incredible things I've got to do.
0: Yeah, you've just done so much great Mm -hmm. stuff. No,
1: it's real. I love it. I love it. The
0: comedy community, everybody knows who you are, and everybody, the first thing they say is, fuck Wayne Fetterman. Oh, I thought you were talking about a different Wayne Fetterman. (laughs) I actually know (laughs) I like
1: that guy. That's what everybody says. (laughs) (laughs) But not completely true. Not completely. There's some people that don't. By the whole Wayne Fetterman what? thing. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who? I don't want. I never would. Don't do name it. names. Just tell me what they look like and <laughs> what their name rhymes with. I will tell you after this thing because. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How is that? What are, I know, I know it seems because I think because I'm a little bit of a I'm am, there's an ambitious side to me and I think some people are just like stop with the nice guy thing. You're just as ambitious as all of us. Why are you pretending to be this? This is your shtick. So I think there's a little of that. Okay. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I mean, it may. It may I mean, there's listen, there's right, there's, and it's there, their own stuff as well.
0: You, you go on YouTube right now and you pull up Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. It's got like a hundred and twenty thousand likes and ten thousand dislikes. <laughs> right, right. So people are fucking stupid.
1: Right. You know what I mean? And people just. But and again, get, I get that happens. But this is the other comedians. So it's not. I don't think I'm quite as beloved as you think I am. I mean, I, you know. I
0: know, uh, I know. I, I'm just I, telling you the truth. I'm not I'm saying t- that you're wrong, but I, but I just don't see it. Okay, okay. I don't okay. see it. I see the people that that I respect respect you. Thank you. Which means that I know how hard you work. I know how funny you are, and also we've jammed together. Yeah. And
1: I know how talented you are. Thank you. Thank you. But I will say, I, this is embarrassing even to be talking about. But I there's a there's a quote I had from somebody. That I like. I feel like just being alive is like huge.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like you have like a one in, in
1: yeah. twenty billion
0: shot. I don't know why people don't it.
1: appreciate that.
0: People don't understand that. How and also how short life is. Yeah, of course, it's <laughs> it's literally. I snapped my fingers. I was. I went from thirteen to thirty nine. Right. Right. Like right. it's just moving. And now, as we've gotten older, as you know, it's getting faster. It's the the days. It starts. It's over. So if you can't, <laughs> what's made me more present in yeah, life and, yeah. and be able to connect with you and with with Avery and and the people that I love is is realizing and is that I'm going to die this is the fun part you know what I mean I have no idea what's going to happen if I'm lucky I make it to 80 I get to live another 40 years right
1: no and sometimes it's hard because you get caught up and there's you know your ego is involved with this yeah. and but and, and your ambition and but even outside of show business it's it's just, you just it's have all, to enjoy everything. Like I said, like I said should... it's off the charts just to be alive. Yes. Let alone to be able to do what I want to do. Let alone to get to hang out with the talent, most talented people in the business.
0: Dude, the other night. The yeah. other night, you and I sat backstage while Bill was on. <laughs> Bill Burr was on stage, crushing it, and yeah. just giggled together. And I was like, "This is the greatest moment of my life." Because it's the only moment that I have. Everything else is gone. Nothing has happened in the future. So it's like this you just have to sit in these moments and enjoy it. I try to. And you're doing a good job. I try of it. to. You're I try to. Job. I try not to be on my phone. You buying a harpsichord soon? You're doing great, bro. All right. Uh the reason this was the first single was because Miller knew it would set up the next single, which is also the next song. Peter, play a little taste of rockin' me, baby. I went from Phoenix, Arizona, all the way to Tacoma, Philadelphia, and led to L.A. Northern California, where the girl are warm. It's a perfect song. Yeah, it's it's a perfect song. Uh it, Like I said, it reminded me of being picked up uh from, from my house by Paul Blivin. Really cool story. This was written specifically for an opening slot before Pink Floyd at the Nebworth Festival in England in 1975. So Miller knew that they would need to play something to come out strong and to try to kick Pink Floyd's ass before they put on their show, so they created this. I fucking love that. I love that. They're like, no, we are... Pink Floyd, one of the biggest bands in the world. Of course. One of the, the most brilliant musicians. Let's make it hard for them. Like it's I mean as as a headliner I would be pissed if they're like what they're breaking out what the fuck is this song yeah. Keep on rocking me I'm going to play I'm going to play a what 14 minute it, guitar solo to <laughs> Shine on You Crazy Diamond after this there's
1: no way but they'd already had Dark Side of the Moon had already come out at that point, right? I mean... It's 1973, Nebworth, is that what you said? 75. 70, yeah, oh yeah. So this is, yeah, way after that. Way after this. So I, I don't think Pink Floyd was really worried about the sonic assault of, not, but, of but, Steve Miller.
0: But we were talking about ego. That's what yeah, Steve. You yeah. got, dude, to write this kind of shit, yeah. Steve Miller, to have to name a band the Steve Miller Band, yep. you got to have
1: an ego. Of course. Um, what's the hardest gig you ever played? the hardest, mm-hmm. Fresno State. I had to MC outdoor in a stadium a lip sync contest <laughs> between <laughs> fraternities and sororities. Oh, God. How long into stand-up were you? Uh, so thing, you know, 10 years, maybe 10 years. So I had chopped. I could do it, but it was MC and trying to get, and it was during the day, people were, they were drunk to the point. I have never had people throw things at me before that. So that was the most difficult. I've never. Did you get I mean, hit? Yeah. yeah what did you get yeah, hit yeah. by? Beers? Beer, cans of beers. Oof. Cans of beers came in. And this is the 70s? 70s? No, no. This, this is, is like the early 90s. The early 90s? Yeah, Ooh, yeah, God, yeah. It's before yeah. they redesigned the can. That's <laughs>
0: before they. So <laughs> that must have stung.
1: <laughs> it was. It didn't hit me in the face or anything like that. But uh, I've never been. I don't, that that was very very difficult. All
0: right, you send me. This is uh, a cover of Sam Cooke's 1957 hit, and in my opinion, it kind of sucked balls. Um, <laughs> and also, then you have this fucking in the middle of the song. They're sampling championship wrestling, a comedy track from the from Cheech and Chong's yes, wedding that's album. That's right. That's right. Like, why would they put that in there? I don't know. Um, you often perform with a piano. Now I do. Because we're talking about combining the the comedy with music. Why do you think comedy and music blend so well?
1: Well, for some people, it, don't, it doesn't. Some people look down upon comedians using music in their acts. So for myself, I've always loved it. And when I, again, when I was starting out, there was a lot, there was a, comedian's Even if they didn't use music in the act, I noticed they were musicians. Like Johnny Carson played the drums, and uh, Mel Brooks was a drummer, and Sid Caesar was a uh, a clarinet, a saxophone player, and obviously Jerry Lewis used music and danced tremendously in those movies. When I was a little kid, I was like, "Oh, this is incredible!" And so I've always just enjoyed that. And then there was these acts I just loved. I loved. There was a guy named Pete Barbuti, you, you probably don't know. Barbuti? Yeah, he- uh, <laughs> Best he, name of the episode. He was <laughs> he was on The Tonight Show when I was a kid, and he would do these silly things at the piano, and it was just, I just, I loved it. I just loved it. I don't even know if it does blend easier, and obviously, Victor Borga had this incredible career playing comedy and music, and I just, again, there was a kind of a, some people do it in a hacky kind of- Sure. way where you do a song parody and then you just say something dirty at the end. But I've always, always, I even liked when Steve Martin, when Steve Martin hit, he was playing the banjo. Yeah. A lot of, and we play, you know. I don't know.
0: It's, there's, I, I'll agree with you with what you're saying. There are people that are doing, you know, the, I'm not a big fan of like spoof songs
1: Right, right, right But I
0: appreciate like, you know, my friend Avery Avery yes, Pearson, he yes. does the 88 show Which is, uh-huh. uh, you know, he writes funny songs uh, Very, very like, you know, biographical With with the comedians And I think right. that's great And I think then that works And then you have like Like the goddamn Comedy Jam Which is, you know, which I created But it also, it shouldn't work But it does Because I also think it's the execution Yes. it's all the execution. Of course, if Avery was doing was didn't know how to be funny, and with and the comic is awkward, and and it just didn't, it fell flat. You know, I'm not saying every song hits, but when they hit, it's incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible that show, and then the goddamn comedy James same thing. Because comedy and a laughter gets into your soul, and it, it's a clearing of negativity when you laugh, and then when you you sing a song,
1: you couldn't know, be it, more pure. It
0: couldn't be more pure. Yeah, it's just laughter and music gets into your soul. All right, this goes into Blue Odyssey. Uh, Peter, play a little bit of it. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I mean, it's just another short, spacey synthesizer instrumental that sounds like
1: the first one, in my opinion. 109, best $190 he ever spent. Yeah. I also
0: think this is a, a song to remind you you should uh, get high again because this is, a, this <laughs> is the exact amount of length from the first uh, Twinkly Sprinkly to this Twinkly Sprinkly where it's like your weed would be wearing off. So that then brings us into Sweet Marie. Uh, play a little bit, Peter. Oh! I didn't think this song was going to be good because it starts with like another spacey thing. Mm -hmm. And then it brings you into this, Uh, the harmonica played by harp legend, James Cotton. And it comes in and it's, it's this it's the only way to explain it. It sounds like a very authentic front porch, slow blues song. And it raves up and then it becomes like Chicago blues. And then it slows back down again. Um, But I think it's about uh, a woman who causes the singer a fair bit of trouble um,
1: what do you think? I can't argue with the guy. This sold so many records, but I would have rather had him put Jet Airliner on right here and just close it out in like a crazy way. But he wanted that on the next album.
0: Well, um I I, I don't know that song, Jet Airliner. Oh, okay. It doesn't matter. Doesn't no, matter.
1: but I see I, I think if he, I think he
0: shouldn't have done You Send Me and he should have done another blues song oh, in, in that in that version. And then and I like this. I love I love slow blues. I love slow booze It's one of my favorite Styles of music uh, But to end the album I'm actually going to Disagree with you Because I love The next song The Window okay. uh, This is Steve Miller trying Funk Play <laughs> two minutes 35 seconds in Peter Look through the window, 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 window. Tell me I mean, that is the most idealistic sort of hippie bullshit about peace and love. But man, that, that through the window
1: of a spaceship looking back at Earth. I mean, I think I think wh- that's what that is. I think what
0: he's trying to say is that the world needs to be peace and love. Cause let's just read that little section. Look through the window. Tell me, what do you see? A beautiful planet. hundred percent. It's gorgeous. Peace and harmony. Think, love, you're surrounded. We are one. You and I. Gather your leaves together. There's only love until we die. I mean, no, that's very. He's 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 telling it to you the way it is, this... and I think that's a, that's a way. Whatever whatever wavelength Steve Miller is is
1: is writing on. Right. I mean, and I and that's like called that the window.
0: It's called the window. I love that song. This yeah, is I know probably...
1: you do. We're going to disagree on that. We're going to agree to disagree. Really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You yes. do not like the song. Th- this is that part of Steve Miller. I don't like. Okay. That part of Steve Miller, which is, to me, is exactly reflects the way he looks. You know, like, like oh, okay, this is the white guy, that this whole vibe, the Steve Miller vibe, I feel like. This is, it's not for me, okay. it's not for me. Right. But I love the other stuff. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E F F I N G Perspective, the only podcast you crank up to eleven.
0: Although it's sort of uh, morbid, yeah. uh, an, an articulation by saying "there's only love until we die." Uh, let's take it down to the most basic root. What brings your life
1: meaning? Well, it's a combination. It's a combo. It's a combo platter. It's, total yeah. it's a sampler. It's total. It's a sampler. It's like, it's like got chicken tenders. You got egg rolls. sliders. You got, a, you got a spinach dip. Maybe yeah. onion rings. Little O-rings. I do. I feel. I mean, I I really love being here. I like being here on the earth. I love this. I like whatever he says. Looking out that window. I love. As a rule, I like people. I really do. I like humanity more than I like like animals. I know I differ from Hitler with that. Hitler <laughs> loved dogs and stuff. I like people. I like people. And I i don't know. I like music. I love history. I just like the whole, I just like being here. So I think that does give it meaning. And obviously there's a, I think we all know that the Woody Allen is like eventually, not now, but at one point, the whole universe is gonna explode or suck back into that black hole, and all of this will be completely meaningless. Everything, including, believing it or not, these podcasts, which are so important now, <laughs> that like it's so there is that obviously existential dread in the future that all of us know is as a fact. So, but instead of worrying about that, I feel like I don't know. It's, it kind of goes back to what you said earlier, Josh. Is that your name? <laughs> that that I do appreciate like being here now and experiencing each other. I, I think that's kind of like all we have. And I'm just I just, just couldn't that. agree with you more. You want to do some facts? Yes. All right. Whoa! Take the facts and the facts. In
0: 1972, on the way to the airport to begin a European tour, Miller got into a terrible car accident and broke his neck. He retired to his parents' house in Dallas to recuperate for eight months and reflect on his future. When he returned to the studio to make what became The Joker, he had a new sound that cemented his popularity. Oh, I like that. I like that he, you know, it's just everything changed post the car accident for him. You can relate to that, right? 100%. Yeah. Because, I mean, not just the car accident, but, I mean, it was a little delayed, but it took a few years for me to you know, really if you're not talking about career stuff, right? It was a few years to really start okay. thinking outside the box. But for, you know, just the idea of well, you're talking about life and appreciating it, I mean that it that took that's been the biggest change. More than my career is my happiness that I've been able to look at how precious life is now. But that took, you know, almost almost six years post car accident.
1: And also a lot of people in the business think of you as a joker. That's 100% so a, Yeah, that's a
0: parallel, right? What was the
1: biggest turning point in your life
0: that gave you pause for reflection?
1: This all goes, this happened like really early in my life. Very early. Because as you know, my biological dad died when I was young. And. How old were you? Less than one. Less than one. Oh, wow. So I, I only know him from videos and, you know, film and clips and stuff like that. So. Uh, so I already knew there was like this weird death thing was already in our family. And then I had an epiphany that sort of changed my life in the first day of uh, second grade where I was standing outside the class in Silver Spring, Maryland at East Silver Spring Elementary School. And we would line up in rows for the first bell and then we would go in the classroom and then we, the second bell, we'd start the class. So that's how it worked. So I'm lined up first day of second grade. I'm in line. I'm like, new books, new whatever, the pencils, protractor. I look to my left, and I see the first graders. And for the first time in my life, and I'll never forget, it changed, absolutely changed my life. I went, oh, wait a minute. That used to be me. Like, up until that point, I was just like, oh, what's going on? Oh, I'm crying. Oh, I'm happy. Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I have to go to the bathroom. You know, oh, someone's yelling at me. So I was like, oh, that used to be me. I used to look at the second graders and the third graders and the fourth grade, the fourth graders down the line, and so then I looked to the left, I go, that and then I would look to the right, and I saw the third, fourth, and fifth graders like, oh, I'm gonna die. Yeah. Like, I, it all, like, crystallized, like, like, went into, you know, in a movie, like, when it goes into focus, like, it was like, yeah. oh, oh, this is, I see what this whole thing is. And so from that day on, I've always been very aware of the passage of time and how important it is to like live your life. And I know that sounds weird for such a young, but I had a Total existential epiphany at wow, that time. At second grade, first day of se- first but, day of second grade. But yeah. you,
0: but also you had been through. It, it's you know. Yeah, you, my, your my mom my,
1: had told you, and it's like. Yeah, you I also guy, had a grandfather who got killed, and he was a grocer, and he got killed in a holdup, and like there was a, like a lot of kind of like death early on in my family, so I was like very aware that this was what happened, what could happen in life. Do you?
0: How do you handle death now? I mean, I mean, it's is it is it does it, you know. Is it something that you take even harder than than most, or are you are you almost numb to it?
1: Well, I mean, it. I've I've seen death up close so much, and unfortunately, yeah. like un- unfortunately, a number of times in my life. So it's. Uh, I think I do disconnect a little from it. I, I I know this is not funny at all. No, it's not. But it does, it's fine. It's, it's uh, yeah. I think I do disconnect from it a little bit. Like I'm, like for me to like. Like be emotionally start crying or something. I, I'd be like, it's it's just too, it's too much for me. Yeah. And then then maybe later I'll like oh all of a sudden I'm crying by myself. Yeah. But yeah yeah I've seen it I've se- I actually yeah I mean I've seen like some bad things happen some bad things happen yeah so and more than once besides that earlier earlier stuff in my you know I didn't see my grandfather get killed or anything like that but uh, uh, but you know but you know you do seen- <laughs> it's
0: i mean i lost my dad i lost yeah. i remember my grandmother dying um which was the first time i really saw my dad like weep right and really cry and and i i feel like i you know i feel like such a like a, a kid I, I was i was 10 years old i was in sixth grade i, I might have cried. But I remember, like, we go to we go to sit shiva, and it's like all I thought about, and maybe it was just me being a 10-year-old and a selfish kid, was that I just wanted to watch MTV. Yeah. Because we were at my my grandmother's house, and they had cable. And it was like, you know, it, it didn't, it never, I didn't grasp it, you know? And, and when my dad died, I, I was definitely sad, but my dad suffered a lot in life mentally. Uh, <clears throat> and I, I'm, you know, and he, I don't think he was a very happy guy and was able to enjoy his life. Uh, so I was able to look at it as like, now he's at peace. Uh, losing Angelo is yeah. the hardest thing I've ever dealt with in my life. I, I still, to this day, have not gotten over it. Right. I, I'm, I can handle it a lot better, but <clears throat> it was, you know,
1: I think that's the first everything. Th- I think that's the first time I really talked was right around that time. lot. I, I you, remember you know, that it was, Outside I, of the I do, of course. Yeah, it was,
0: it was. You know, a lot of people because it was it was one of us. It was yeah, we all yeah. lost somebody that we all loved. Everybody loved Angelo. He was a comic right. we We're leaving a show, you know, and it was just it was it, it. I think it changed the L.A. comedy scene uh for the better because there was, you know, Angela was all about hugging and and being selfless. And I mean, there was a there was a chunk of time after that accident that people were it was like after 9-11. The way everybody was nice to one another and everybody was helping each other Mm -hmm. it really it really taught everybody you know one how how all the stand-up shit is meaningless it's all meaningless and it's about you know just being there for these people that we're going on this journey with and uh you know i i still i still cry all the time it's i don't think i'll ever have a loss that that is as profound you know when my mom passes that'll be extremely tough right um but it's Ange was, was my brother and it was you know like I said you talk about love 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 of my life 100% yeah you know and but I'm I'm glad that I had you know four years with him right and because they were incredible and he taught me a lot I, I don't think I'd be where I'm at if he doesn't pass away you know so and I'm not talking about career wise I'm just talking about right. being able to enjoy this
1: evolution Yeah,
0: evolution all right when Miller was still in high school his band backed Blues hero Jimmy Reed Before they were signed And shortly after They played the Monterey Pap Festival In 67 The yeah. only recording Of the Steve Miller Blues band Was made When they backed up Chuck Berry At San Francisco's Fillmore
1: Auditorium
0: Yeah man Which heroes of yours Have oh. you been fortunate Enough to perform oh, with Oh this
1: is a great question Finally A good question Finally <laughs> 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 Well um, I would say Off the top would be uh, Gary Shanley. When I got to play, I played his brother on the Larry Sanders. I played Stan Sanders. I think the only relative that's portrayed on that show, I don't think they showed the parents or anything like that. So uh, that was, I mean, just (laughs) mind-blowing, mind-blowing, ridiculous. Because I just liked what he did with his career. I liked his creativity. He walked away, you know, he had a, he could have been a sitcom writer, you know what a lot of people would sell their parents to do. He's like, ah, I done that. He could have been the regular host of the Tonight Show, or, and he didn't want to do that. He'd rather do a sitcom, and you know the It's Gary Shanley show. So he's always pushing himself. Anyway, I love, I love. So that would be, I guess, number one. And then I and also working on on curb by the wire guy, <laughs> you're, you're the, the yeah. wire his neighbor. Yeah, yeah. So that I, was. Ooh. uh That was pretty incredible, just because I think he's a comedic... He's so funny. He's a comedic genius. And also, in that episode, I got to do a scene with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who I think is the equivalent of Lucille Ball. Oh, I completely agree. So those... And then I also... I've opened for Seinfeld, so that's (laughs) mind-blowing. Like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I never... I once did a reading of a Steve Martin pilot and he was there giving me comedy notes. I was like, wow. "Okay, I can't even. This yeah. is I mean, <laughs> it's you are Forrest Gump." <laughs> yeah, this is you are Forrest Gump, dude. This is just really stupid. Okay. And and in a way, Judd, in a way like collaborating with Judd on both that documentary and, you know, helping him with his special and we still I it's it's just great. All right, final thoughts on the album. Well, my comedy album. Well, it started out, <laughs> <laughs> this is my thought. This is peak Steve Miller, like I said earlier. This is as big as he gets with this album. And he has a number, he has the abracadabra thing in the 80s and a little one with the seal song when they bring it back for the uh, for the movie. But this is, this is it. And I feel like he cracked the code for a few songs on this album and the next album and abracadabra uh of the like uh, quintessential single AM radio single.
0: I only know this album and a few other hits. Yeah. But it's just like it's 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 Americana, man. It's Steve Miller is is a part of American history. This album is a part of it. And it's like it's it's just a it's just a fantastic record. It's in my opinion, it's fantastic. I really did enjoy this, man. And I really enjoyed sitting down and talking to you. Wow. I love you so much, Fatty Wap. You are One of my
1: favorite people. Well, I wish I could say the same. Okay, (laughs) Okay, that's it.
0: Wayne Fetterman, ladies and gentlemen, a.k.a. Fetty Wop. For all things Wayne, go to WayneFetterman.com. Find him on Twitter, at Fetterman, and find him on Instagram, at InstaFetterman. Don't forget to check out the History of Stand-Up podcast. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. Listen to it on Spotify. Check out the new season of Silicon Valley, which Wayne is a part of. And catch Wayne Fetterman at the Hollywood Improv December 21st. I'll be posting Wayne's Spotify mixtapes. You can find all of that and the kit and caboodle at our website, the500podcast.com. Email us at 500podcasts at gmail.com. Follow me at Myers on all social media. And go ahead and give a like to our Facebook fan page, The 500 with Josh Adam Myers. Please subscribe on Spotify or your favorite platform that you listen to podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple, leave us a little review. Now, we just listened to Steve Miller Band from 1976. For new music this week, our music director, Matt Penfield, selected Fantastic Negrito. Fantastic Negrito is from Oakland, California, who blends blues and R&B with big hooks. He always admires blues bass artists, including Steve Miller. Fantastic Negrito won a Grammy in 2016 for his album, The Last Days of Oakland, for Best Contemporary Blues Album. His latest is Please Don't Be Dead. Both are available for your listening pleasure on Spotify. Check out the link on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you are in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500 website, or if you give us consent, we play it at the end of the episode, send your song to 500podcasts at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and the artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is War Week with their 1972 album, The World is a Ghetto. It is a fantastic record. Do your homework. Listen to the album on Spotify. Stay fleecy. Stay Cadougal.
1: With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.